Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Got your Bible open up to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, as we've been all year walking through Mark's Gospel. He's kind of the most active of the Gospel writers, uses action packed words. He's the shortest. And uh, like we're in this final week, what in church world we call Passion Week or Holy Week. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to get to the arrest of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and so on and so forth. But Mark chapter 12 is packed with a, like, there's a lot of stuff that we can unpack. Today's conversation could be a little bit unique, but before I jump into that, I wanna just tell you, Wednesday night we had growth track and it was a full house. Like we've got like 12, 14 new members uh, that are like part of Hillspring family, but it was just awesome. I'm so excited about what God's doing here in our church. Amen, everybody. If you are a guy, give me a grunt like, oh, you just signed up right there when you grunted. Uh, put Tuesday, September 12th on your calendar because that is a uh, guys only service. So we're going to like smoke things in terms of meat. Let me very, very clear on that. So um, now we're going to have burgers and then just have kind of a time that's just set aside for us as men to be the men of God that scripture calls us and regardless of what culture says and what regardless of what culture is trying to take away from uh, just male masculinity and Christianity, it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a great night, and we're going to do a series of these this fall of just our guys getting together in the room. Ladies, we're going to be better husbands. We're going to be better dads. We're going to be better shepherds and protectors because of that. So if they're not going to put it on their calendar, you do, okay? So that's Tuesday night, September 12th. Mark chapter 12, a lot of great conversation is to be had even in 2023, like in today, in religion and politics, they sometimes find themselves in opposition. Even though we as Christians, we're told that we need to pray for our leaders, uh, leaders, we need to submit to our leaders. I mean, keep in mind when that was written, the Romans were in charge and they were very oppressive, big taxes. They were cruel to Christians, you know what I'm saying? And even still, the writers of the New Testament would say, we need to pray for those leaders. We, we need to submit to those leaders, right? And it's a whole different conversation unless they're requiring us to break moral and spiritual principles. And I don't even wanna get into that today. But today's story is referenced a lot when we talk about politics and religion and pertaining to the tension that's found between those two worlds. Even in the religious factions of Jesus' day, that tension still existed, it, it was there. And, and there's some people that try to use that tension, they try to use that to trap Jesus to say something that they could use against him. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, we're going to jump in at verse 13. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. First service just looked at me like, I don't know. So here we go, verse 13. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod. We're going to unpack all that today to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Verse 14, teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. 
You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? (laughs) Jesus saw right through their hypocrisy and he said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. And when they handed it to him, he asked, well, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Now, there's a lot here, you know what I'm saying? But there's also a couple of practical things for you and I in our life today in Oklahoma in 2023 that we can learn from this conversation. Like the title of today's message is Fakes and Factions. Because there's this group of people who are pretending, they're, they're phonies, they're pretending to be impressed with Jesus. But there's also this faction of Jewish religious leaders. They traditionally don't get along, they don't play well together, they're typically on the opposing side of issues, they're constantly struggling for power, they're constantly struggling for who's the most influential group. But in this situation, in this moment, Jesus has them completely united. All these different groups, Typically don't get along, but they come together and they are united behind one common cause, and that's to get rid of Jesus. It's this idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. We saw this play out a lot of times in global politics. World War II, you would see this picture of Winston Churchill and President Roosevelt and Joseph Stalin. They ironically were allies during the Second World War. They were united to defeat evil Nazi Germany. But if you studied American history, studied global history, as soon as World War II was over, there became this tension between the West, Great Britain, the United States, and our allies, and the East, the Soviet Union, and their allies, and the Cold War was born. But they came together for the cause of defeating the evil Nazi Germans. But then after World War II was over, they went back to kind of the tension that among, among them. Same with the factions that are found in this scripture today. In, the, in Mark chapter 12, you're going to read about five different groups. They're going to pop up from time to time. And I thought, well, before we fully jump into Mark chapter 12, let, I'm going to just stop, pause, be a little bit like a history teacher here, and talk about five of the different factions. So if you want to take extra notes, you, you can kind of write these down. The first group that's mentioned will be the chief priests, Okay. If there was a power to be had in the Jewish religious community, these guys had that power. They were the chief. They were the top priests. They were at the highest level of leadership, okay? They typically ran the temple. They ran the deals. They ran the organization. They ran the kind of the politics of the temple. We don't read a lot about this group outside of Jerusalem, but when Jesus is in Jerusalem, They're there, they're present because they live, they stay, they work. Their job was in Jerusalem, in and around the temple. Now one of this elite group of priests, one of these chief priests would have the highest position and he would be called the high priest, like he was the one. And and a lot of times that was bloodline. The high priest has his roots in the book of Exodus. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, the first high priest was his brother, Aaron, and then there was high priest throughout that. Caiaphas was the high priest during the time of Jesus. So we're reading this story, Mark chapter 12. Caiaphas would be the elite. He would be the high priest of chief priest 
that's in this story, okay? So the next group that will be mentioned in Mark chapter 12 is a group of scribes, okay? And, and really the best way I know to put it, they were kind of the attorneys. They were kind of the lawyers of the day. They studied the law, they copied the law, they wrote the law, not in terms of creating it, but they were just kind of, if you will, the associates of a law firm. They were the grinders of the religious system. They were writing, studying, teaching, writing, studying, and teaching. Their life was consumed with just the Jewish law. Then you have the elders, okay? And there's a little vagueness about what this means most agree that this is the leadership of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And I'm going to explain what that is. The Sanhedrin was this kind of unique body. Probably the modern day similarity would be our Senate. As a matter of fact, it, it somewhat evolved to be modeled after the Roman Senate or even like a Supreme Court, but it had a lot of members, like 72, I believe, members. Okay, so the Jewish Sanhedrin they would make decisions that had to do with their synagogues and the temple and the Jewish law. They had no political relevance because in this day and time, Rome was the political authority, okay? The Sanhedrin has its origins also in the book of Exodus. If you read Exodus chapter 18, Moses is absolutely overwhelmed and exhausted with dealing with all of the problems of the people that he was trying to lead. His father-in-law Jethro comes to visit and says, what you're doing is not good. You need to get some help. You need some leaders. So appoint some men who are capable to lead thousands, some who are capable to lead hundreds, some to lead fifties, some to lead tens. And so those leaders, many believe, are the infancy of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Okay? But in the day of Jesus, they had absolutely no political governance. That belonged to Rome because Rome had conquered them, marched their armies through and, and Rome was very much an oppressive political power. But these elders referred to the people that would be in leadership of the Jewish Sanhedrin. If you're still with me, say, okay. You might check on your neighbor, right? Because we've got just a couple more to go. One of the groups that we're probably a little more familiar with that we would hear throughout the Gospels, not just when Jesus was in Jerusalem, but it's this term, the Pharisees, Okay. Not, not to add confusion, but typically there were four parties. Uh, the term we use is sex, S-E-C-T-S, four sects to the Jewish religion. And so you would have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, we'll talk about in just a second. There's two other groups that aren't necessarily mentioned in, in Mark chapter 12, and that would be the Essenes and the Zealots. Now, the Zealots are mentioned because one of the disciples was a Zealot. But for our conversation today, the Zealots and Essenes kind of get pushed to the side. But the Pharisees were one of the primary parties, if you will, of the Jewish kind of religious community. And the Pharisees were for the common man. Like, they were for the little guy. They were the party, or they were society of scholars and priests that predominantly served the rule, the country folks. You know what I'm saying? And, and they would be, every little town that was big enough would have a synagogue. It's their version of a church. And there would be a synagogue. And not only was it the place of worship on the Sabbath day, but it was also responsible for educating the young boys. And so the synagogue would also be the school system. And the rabbis, many times, out in the country, out in the rural areas, would be the Pharisees. 
okay? And the Pharisees, um, there were a couple of them that they were kind of intrigued by Jesus. Like they didn't want to go on record as opposing him. Uh, one famous Pharisee uh, by the name of Nicodemus had some very interesting conversation with Jesus. And there's other Pharisees that would dialogue with Jesus in his ministry. Eventually, after Jesus would be crucified, he would be laid in the tomb, he'd be resurrected, and then ascended into heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, there would be a Pharisee come on the scene by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. His Christian name would be Paul. And yes, that's the Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He loved the law. He obeyed the Jewish law to the letter of the law. One of the things that's interesting about the Pharisees is they recognized all the law. They recognized the writings of David. They recognized the writings of Isaiah. They recognized the writings of Ezekiel. They recognized the writings of all the prophets, Haggai, and, and so on and so forth. Okay, There's a group that will come later that doesn't recognize them, but what's important about the Pharisees is they, they recognize all the writings of the prophets, etc., etc., Etc. All right. So the next group we're going to talk about is the Herodians. In the New Living Translation, what we just read, it said the Pharisees and some of the followers of Herod. That's how they translated it, but it's the Herodians. Again, we're not entirely sure who all made up that group, but we believe followers of Herod is a, is a really good translation. They could have been part of Herod's family. They could have been people who was loyal to Herod and his leadership. They could have been employees of Herod. They could have been some of Herod's soldiers. But the thing that's important about the Herodians is Herod's power was given to him through Rome, through his relationship with Caesar. So if you were a Herodian, if you were a follower of Herod, or you were a supporter of Herod, by default, you had to be loyal to Rome because that's where Herod got his power. So that's what's interesting. When you read Herodians, they're Jewish people that are in the crowd, but they're also loyal to Rome. If that makes sense, say yes. Okay, one last group, the Sadducees. Why are they named the Sadducees? Because they're so sad, you see. Oh! <laughs> Thank you. My child gets, we have the same sense of humor. Mine's just more polished, so just kidding. The Sadducees. So this, you see a lot of context between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. A lot of times they're mentioned together, okay? The Sadducees were basically the Jewish nobility class. Maybe not necessarily uh, like the priests who uh, were Levite by birth, so you could be a Sadducee and not necessarily be a Levite, but they were the nobility, the, the elite, okay? The Pharisees were the common man. Remember, they're the country preachers. They're out there in the synagogues that are outside of Jerusalem and the smaller rural areas. The Sadducees would not stoop to that level. They functioned in Jerusalem in and around the temple. They also were constantly in direct opposition with the Pharisees. Yes, for power, yes, for influence, but even what they believed in their theology, what they believed in, about the human relationship with God and what would happen in the afterlife and so on and so forth, the good example of kind of some of their squabbling comes in the book of Acts. Paul, remember we talked about Saul changed his name to Paul and he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew 
Like he'd been a part of the Sanhedrin. He'd been in the room when the Sadducees and the Pharisees were fighting so on and so forth. So there's a day, Acts chapter 3 tells the story, where they're coming after Paul and they're accusing him. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting to arrest him so on and so forth. Well, he knows what to do to that room. He just throws a little theological debate out up there in the room and then they turn on each other. He kind of slips out. See y'all. You know, like, I'm out. Acts chapter 23 says, For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, they don't believe there's angels, they don't believe there's spirits, but the Pharisees believe all that. And so they would fight about it. What do you mean there's no resurrection? What do you mean there's no angels? And they would just go back and forth. If you remember a moment ago, I talked about the Pharisees, how they believed the writings of Isaiah. They taught the writings. They read the writings of Isaiah and David and all the other prophets of the Old Testament. What's interesting about the Sadducees is they, the only books, the only thing they held to was what we call the Pentateuch, but it's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. That's what we call the Pentateuch. That's the, if Moses didn't say it, we don't consider it. All they would hold to was the writings and the laws that God gave through Moses, okay? You've got all these different factions, and yes, there's a couple others, like the Zealots and the Essenes that I, I didn't mention. But you have all these factions that typically fight with each other, but now they have united in their hatred for Jesus, okay? So you got fakes, people who are pretending to, like, we're your fans, Jesus. You got fakes and factions. Leads us back to Mark chapter 12, verse 14. Teacher, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't, it's like almost like they memorized what they were going to say. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, should we pay taxes to Caesar? <laughs> I mean, they're trying to play this gotcha game. These guys were posers. They were pretending to be followers of Jesus. They were pretending like, we've heard you talk. We really like what you have to say. We know that when you speak, you're teaching the, the way of God truthfully. Here's the problem. It's true what they said. They just didn't believe it. Everything they said was true. Yes, Jesus taught the way of God truthfully, but they did not believe that. So, they're like trying to trick it. I mean, it's the same thing Pastor Matt does to me when he wants something. That sermon you preached on Sunday, whoo, it changed my life. Oh, really? Oh, that second point, it was so good. What was the second point? And then he starts to fake cry. You know, like, I don't know, it just changed me. Like, I, he does that to kind of manipulate the situation. And it works. Just kidding. This faction was using flattery an attempt to win Jesus to trust them. I'm going to say that again because I, I want you to connect that. This faction was using flattery an attempt to get Jesus to trust them. Their agenda was to get close enough that maybe he'll trust us. Maybe he'll let his guard down. Maybe he'll like trust enough that he'll use something. Oh, well, these, they, I don't have to watch my P's and Q's. These, these, they're just good old boys like me. And he'll say something, we'll catch him in a moment that we can trap him and what you can use against him, right? So my note to you is, be careful who you trust. Like there is a clear biblical principle that in our deeper relationships in life, those people need to prove themselves worthy. They need to prove that they can be trusted. Here's the problem, I trust everybody. 
And early on in my adulthood, I just, oh, you're a good old boy like me. And I just give you all the D, and then you would hurt me. Be careful who you trust. And when someone proves themselves unworthy, you can still love them, you can still have relationship with them, you can still point them to Jesus, but beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Can I get an amen? The number one thing I want us to take away from in a world of fake news, be the real deal. In a world of fake news, you and I as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, the people that are reading the Bible, people that are trying to become more like Christ, we're trying to mature in our faith, you and I need to be the real deal. So I remember um, as a kid, my grandparents were very young grandparents. Like, and I'm talking about my dad's parents. They had their firstborn, my uncle, my grandma was 17. It was a long time ago. Things have changed, <laughs> okay? But then my uncle had his first kid at 18. So they were grandparents at the age of 38. 38 is very young. Can I get an amen? Yeah, right? So I remember them being, I was, <laughs> I remember them turning 50, and I'm the baby of five grandkids. You know what I'm saying? I'll be fixed 50 next year, and I'm a long way out from grandkids. So they were just young. So they had energy. They had, you know, time. God had blessed them, so they would load us five grandkids up, and they would put us in a motorhome. Twice, they took us to California. We were gone for a month. I'm starting to question their sanity. And they, I mean, we, some of my best memories as a kid, I spent my summers at Daisy and in that motorhome fighting with my cousins and, you know, they were, they were young. And so they would take us, a couple of times they'd take big vacations. I mean, I went to Disneyland when I was a kid. Sometimes they would just take us to Branson for three or four, four days. And when you go to Branson back then, there was Dog Patch, Silver Dollar City, Wax Museums. There's nothing more confusing to a five-year-old than Wax Museums. Okay? And then I remember a little bit, we'd, we'd go to Dog Patch, and then they would have these people standing throughout the park that were just perfectly still. And so you thought they were a statue until you got really close and then they'd pat you on the head. And it scared the bejesus out of me. Woo! You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just so confused. I'm a little bitty fella. Been to Wax Max Museums. There's Abraham Lincoln. I thought he was dead. I don't know. And then you would go to dog patch and you have these people pretending to be statues and then touching skin. And so I remember one day just exasperated by I don't know who's real and who's not. And we were leaving Dog Patch, walking on the sidewalk, and there was a park bench, and there was an older gentleman sitting there with his legs crossed. He didn't even blink. And he was just sitting there. And me and my kind of whiny, raspy five-year-old boys pointing my finger, Granny, is he real? To which the dude laughs. I'm like, yeah, baby, he's real. <laughs> Imagine being a kid trying to grow up today with fake news, the Babylon Bee, which is absolutely hilarious. AI, filters, Photoshop. How in the world do you even know what's real today? I'm going to read something to you. The lines between artificial intelligence and human interaction can sometimes blur due to the increasing sophistication of AI technologies. 
However, paying attention to a combination of emotional, contextual, adaptive, and subjective factors can generally help in distinguishing between AI and a genuine person. So I got on chat GPT, right? Like the AI thing. Kids, that's not real. Don't do that. You cannot write papers on there. It does not write essays, so just forget I ever said anything about that. I got on chat GPT, and I typed this question. How can we tell the difference between artificial intelligence and a general or a genuine person? And that's the paragraph it gave me. Like, that's what it said. You know I didn't write that because I don't even know what contextual and adaptive means. Right? This is the paragraph it gave me. So then I asked it to do the same thing in a language I would understand. So I said, okay, I asked the same question, but answer with the verbiage from the southern United States dialect. Distinguishing between AI and a real person, especially in the southern United States dialect, involves noticing specific linguistic traits. Here's how you can do it using vocabulary from the region. And then it gives me a list of words to be aware of. And the first word it gives me is y'all. The term y'all is a common southern contraction for you all. A true southerner might use this word naturally in conversation. AI will not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and by the way, you know what the plural of y'all is? All y'all. There you go. And then it would give me phrases like, bless your heart, and fixin' to, and howdy, and ain't, and coke, <laughs> right? In the South, Coke is often used as a generic term for a soft drink or soda. Asking for a Coke could be a telltale sign you're talking to a Southerner. You go to a restaurant, what do you want to drink? I want a Coke. Which one? Dr. Pepper. Like, that's just how it works, right? Mama and Daddy. Southerners often refer to their parents as Mama and Daddy. And then it gave me the word Supper. The evening meal is often called supper in the South rather than dinner. Hearing someone mention supper could be indicative of their Southern origin. And then it gave me grits, biscuits and gravy, and hush puppies. Can I get an amen? My favorite was J-E-E-T, jeet. A contraction for did you eat? Jeet. This question is a distinctly Southern way of asking if someone has had a meal. AI will not likely use this term. <laughs> if you're new today, I'm sorry. There's not like a more mature guy that's going to come out and preach. Like this is, it's not the Sunday the youth pastor's talking, <laughs> right? In a world of fake news, in a world of AI, you and I need to be the real deal. These guys that are trying to trap Jesus, they're pretending. They're posers. They're trying to pretend that they are something that they are not. They're trying to trap Jesus and fool Jesus. Just enough, maybe he will trust them, let his guard down, and say something that they can use against him. A couple of thoughts for you and I, how we ought to be the real deal. Is Number one, let your yes be yes. Like if you say you're going to do something, do it. Be a person of your word. In Jesus' most famous sermon, we, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he says it this way, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than this 
is from the evil one. Like, don't be a deceptive person. Don't try to trap people. Don't, don't lie to me. If you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. As Christians, we need to let our yes be net. Yes, if I'm going to tell somebody I'm going to do it, do it. Don't make a bunch of excuses. Don't ghost them. I, I get it. Life happens, and sometimes I've got to cancel. But let that be the exception, not the rule. If you're going to be a Christian business person, do business like the Bible tells us to be and do. Okay? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Secondly, speak life and mean it. Because, yeah, these guys were speaking life. I mean, these guys were being very complimentary, very kind, very nice. Jesus, we know you're very fair. Also, they didn't mean a word of it. So I'm not telling you to be fake and phony. I'm not telling you to be a kiss-up, but I'm telling you to focus on the positive things in life, the positive things in people. Like, I don't know, say thank you every once in a while. Like, appreciate, like, acknowledge someone's effort. Acknowledge the fact that someone cares. Or maybe, like my mama used to say, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. In a world that is full of negativity, why don't you and I be people of faith and hope and positivity? Okay, well, I think the three of you, but the rest of you listening to me? Here's where the Bible says that in Proverbs 18, 21. Words kill, words give life. My friend, you have a choice. Words can either be poison or they can be fruit. You choose. The world might be fake, but I know the world is very, very negative, and God calls you and I to be different. Amen, everybody? So why not be people of hope and people of faith and positivity and genuine at the same time? So in a world of fake news, let you and I be the real deal. And then secondly, in a world of religions, have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there is a global attempt to bring equality to all religions. Like there's this attempt to say, well, whatever you do is good for you, that all religions are just their way of getting to you know, whatever's next or whatever. And so here's the problem. If you and I really believe the Bible is the true word of God, if you and I believe that the Bible is the inerrant scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit word of God, then you and I cannot believe that all religions are created equal. There is one that stands apart and all the rest are equal But there is one that stands apart. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. He didn't say he was a way or a truth or a life. He said he is the way. And if you and I really believe what the Bible says, listen, Buddha can't get you there. Muhammad ain't going to make it happen for you. Satanism sure ain't going to get you there. New age won't happen. Just Jesus. There is a world of religions. And what separates Christianity from all the other world religions is it revolves around, they revolve around what the person does. I either earn my enlightenment or discover my enlightenment or behave my way into utopia or reincarnation. Am I going to come back as a butterfly or a donkey? Good Lord, I hope that's not real. The other world religions revolve around what we as people do to earn Christianity revolves around what Jesus Christ did on a bloody cross to save you and I. 
So we've talked about these factions, right? The scribes, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, right? Their system, the faction system, was rules to keep the relationship with God. You had to obey 613 Jewish laws. That's how you lived in relationship with God. Jesus came to change it, said, I got a new way. Factions was rules keep the relationship. Jesus' system was because of the relationship, then I'll keep the rules. John 14, 15, it says, this is Jesus talking. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But you gotta start with loving. You gotta start with the relationship. Because of the relationship, then I will obey. So because I love Jerry, because we've been in love for 25 years, because I want to spend the rest of my life loving her and being loved by her, because of that, I don't do stupid stuff. Well, hold on. (laughs) Never underestimate my ability of being an idiot. That's fair, right? But I ain't snapping some other girl on some social media platform. I ain't sliding in to some little girl's DMs. I'm not. Because of my love for Jerry, because of my relationship with her, there is a set of behaviors that I will gladly abide by. The same thing in our relationship with Jesus. If I love him, I'll abide by his commandments. If I love him, I won't put any other God above him. I ain't going to follow Buddha. I ain't going to follow Islam. I ain't going to follow Satanism. If I love him, he is my one and only God, and I'm totally devoted and committed to him. If I love him, I will gladly take a day and keep it holy and set aside the day to rest and worship him. If I love him, I will gladly give back and the life that he has blessed me with. Because I love Jesus, I will also love his people. I won't cheat them. I won't kill them. I won't lie to them or lie about them. Because of the relationship that I have with Jesus, that is what causes me to keep the rules, not the other way around. Oh, good teacher. We know everything that you say is fair. We know that you really teach God's ways. Did we pay Roman tax? Here's the trap, okay? Here's the trap. If Jesus say, yes, you need to pay your taxes, he is siding with the cruel, oppressive, evil Romans. He would also be denying God's sovereignty over the nation of Israel. And probably the biggest issue, that would not be popular with the crowd. They did not like the Romans. They did not like the heavy taxation of the Romans. So if Jesus said, yes, pay the taxes, it's not going to be very popular. But if Jesus says, no, you don't need to pay the Roman taxes, number one, he'd be disobeying the earthly law, the human law. Secondly, he would make himself immediately an enemy of Rome, and that's not a place you wanted to be. But it would be very popular with the crowd that did not like the heavy taxation of the Romans. It's a trap. You got one of them coins? Yeah, I got one. Hands in. Whose picture's on this? Caesar's? 
So is this a Roman coin? Yeah. So this coin belongs to Rome. Yeah. Well, let's be real. You benefit from being able to use this Roman coin. Like you can go on vacation. You go over there to Tyre and take your kids over to the water park over there. And you, because of this Roman coin, you can pay for them to have a good time. So you benefit from using this Roman coin. And the crops that you grew or the, the herds that you raised, you can go sell them. And when they pay you, they're going to pay you with it so you can participate in the Roman economy because of this coin. Yeah? And let's be real, you're actually protected by the Roman army. Even though they didn't enjoy being under the oppression of the Romans, they did not have to worry about the Greeks or the Egyptians or anybody else because they were protected by the Romans. So Jesus says, listen, you benefit from this. This coin actually belongs to Rome. So why don't you give to Rome what belongs to Rome? And then he says this, give to God what belongs to God. The coin belonged to Rome, the coin belonged to Caesar, so give it to him. But you, you belong to God, so give yourself to him. Never seen this before. <laughs> like we all, oh, Jesus, so, you know, it even says they were so amazed at his response. Good job, Jesus. You, they tried to trap you and you, you didn't step in. Back up and look at, I've never seen this. He took a trap and he turned it into an invitation to the gospel. Give the coin to Rome because it's his to begin with. But give your life to God because it belongs to him. Here's the gospel, plain, pure, and simple. We are all sinners. Every one of us. We've all got mistakes. Because of those mistakes... We are separated from our Creator. He made us. But it was sin, it was Adam and Eve eating the fruit that, that, that brought this separation between God and the creation of humanity. And he developed a religious system for the Jewish people, and so in order for them to have synagogue or worship service in the temple, something had to die. Hebrews 9 explains this. He says, like, most of the Moses' law says that blood was used to purify things. So without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. God looked down and, and he saw people trying to earn it. He saw people manipulating the system for their own personal wealth and their own political power. The Bible says at just the right time, at just the right time, he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus said, I'll go. He left the comfort of heaven. He came. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was miraculously conceived. He did not have an earthly father. God was his heavenly father. Mary was his earthly mother, meaning he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he laid down his life so that you and I could be in relationship with our creator. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And they nailed his hands to a wooden cross. And they nailed his feet to that brutal cross. The Bible says they pierced his side with the spear and his blood was shed. He shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. It was a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Have you ever given your life to Christ? I mean, we pay our taxes, we give to Rome, what belongs to Rome, but he says, 
You give to God what belongs to him. Have you ever given your life to Christ? And I've, I've been in churches that make this really hard and awkward. You have to walk the aisle or you have to go off in a room and, and talk to anyone. We, we, that, that's, not our, that's not what we do. What's important is that right there at your seat is that you give your life to God. You just have a very sincere conversation. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to just lead you in a simple prayer to help you confess and believe. They're not magical words. They're sincere. That's what he's looking for. All across this room, with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's moving around. Because maybe the person in front of you or behind you or beside you today, maybe they need in this moment to give their life. If you know that's where you're at today, I'd just invite you just to pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna say a few words, pause, and let you right there just repeat after me. You ready? Dear Heavenly Father, right there, just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I'm a sinner. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I don't want that life anymore. Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you come into my life? Begin to change me. I may not understand how this all works, but I'm taking a step of faith. Today, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Man, what a moment. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. You're here today. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to walk the aisle. I just want to pray one more little prayer for you. If you prayed that with me right then and there, will you just slip up your hand? Will you bold it? Just lift it up real high. All across this room, slip it up real high. Anybody here? Okay, in the back. All right, I see it. Anybody else? Young people, it's the best decision you'll ever make. Spirit of the living God, you see the hands all over this room. With hands and hearts completely surrendering. God, I give my life to you. Father, I, th I thank you for your Holy Spirit that pulls on our hearts to to nudge us into moments like this where we respond to the gospel. Father, I pray you fill them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them, God. Bring some great Christians along beside them. Father, give them the boldness to take their next step of faith. Father, be baptized. Get involved in a small group. God, I love you. I'm excited about this moment. This is an eternal moment for those hands. I love being a part of a church. We're growing. We're maturing. We're seeing people know God. We're seeing people find freedom through small groups. Discover their purpose. Father, making the difference for the kingdom. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, Hillspring, give God the biggest praise you got in your belly this morning. Amen. Man, that never gets old. Come on, Colster. Woo. Up time. Incredible service. If you made a decision today, we want to celebrate that with you. Take a second. Text the word new believer to the number 94000. One of our pastors will reach out and connect with you this week. And welcome to the family. It's time to be part of the service where we give our tithes and our offerings back to God. Four ways you can give at Hillspring. You can give at our website, hillspring.tv give. You can give through our app or you can text to give at the number 84321. You can sign up for text to give or drop off a check at our church offices and our secure mailboxes. 
thanks for worshiping with us today, and I can't wait to see you right here next week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.